Well, good morning and welcome to Wheat Among the Tears, our live program here from the studios of Gethsemane Global Radio in Lexington, South Carolina. Our guest today is GGR Radio's Hymns for Life host, Brad Lindsay. We are discussing the great hymns of the Thanksgiving season and why these hymns have made such an impact on the church today. Let's join the discussion in progress. So why, why be thankful? And again, no, no healing without thanksgiving. We're called scripturally to be thankful. This is a command of scripture. This is not an if you feel like it. This is a command each and every day to be thankful. Um, Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High. Psalm, Psalm 50. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good for his mercy endureth forever. And another one from Colossians here. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Again, Paul's not saying if you feel like it, he's saying we should be thankful. Why should we be thankful? Because God is unchanging, and God's promises are unchanging in Scripture. When should we be thankful? Well, the Scripture's clear on this as well. It's a command to be thankful, but be thankful in all things. Uh, 1 Thessalonians, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And then Ephesians, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in all things, give thanks. And we see this in hymnody that throughout seemingly bad situations, people were thankful and consistently thankful. Uh, There's another story from Germany as well, 1640. So a couple of years after the hymn we just spoke about, there was a young man named Georg Newmark. And this young man was 20 years of age. He had been saving most of his teenage uh, life to go to college uh, and university. So he saved up his money. And, and back then there were no student loans. And so he saved up all his money. And, and, and part of the process to get to university, he had to go through a portion of the Black Forest. And there were a significant number of robbers and crime in that area during his day. And as he went through this forest, he was mugged and robbed and all of his money was taken. He was literally left with nothing. And this young man found himself homeless, uh, hungry, cold, winter was moving in. And the city, he, he went to a nearby city because that's all he could get to. And literally was, was a homeless young man. And there was a local pastor that befriended him, found him on the streets and befriended him. And by December of that year, uh, 1640, Georg was given an opportunity to be a tutor for a local judge. And Georg was so thankful that the Lord had opened up this opportunity, taken a a cold, homeless young man and given him the opportunity to work and to live in a place with, with a fireplace. He wrote this great hymn, If thou but suffer God to guide thee and hope in him through all thy ways, he'll give thee strength whate'er betide thee and bear thee through the evil days who trust in God's unchanging love builds on the rock that naught can move. What can these anxious cares avail thee? These never ceasing moans and sighs. What can it help if thou bewail thee or each dark moment as it flies? Our cross and trials do but press the heavier for our bitterness. 
Only be still and wait his leisure in cheerful hope with heart content to take whate'er thy father's pleasure and his discerning love hath sent, nor doubt our inmost wants are known to him who chose us for his own. Sing, pray, and keep his ways unswerving. Perform thy duties faithfully and trust his word, though undeserving. Thou yet shalt find it true for thee. God never yet forsook in need the soul that trusted him indeed. Young Georg, a few years later, was able to save enough money to return to university. Three years later, three years after the initial date where he thought he was going, he was able to find himself at university studying. A year later, a house fire destroyed all of his possessions again. But young Georg knew that God provides no matter what the circumstances, and he continued to live a thankful life. You know, Brad, uh, <clears throat> as we as we were describing that last uh, young man there and everything that he went through, I'm sure uh, that perhaps there are folks listening right now, maybe themselves or have family members, things that they are going through or have gone through. And uh, certainly as God has purposed upon men's hearts to write these hymns, to me, Brad, they are glorious parts of their lives that have been made manifest through the darkest hours in order to provide those of us later uh, with the light of these hymns. And certainly they are uh, enriching uh, to us uh, as we sing them, as we uh, quote them. Uh, to me, it is just a blessing that God has, has given us those hymns and that they can certainly uh, strengthen us during the dark times that we go through. This next one coming up is probably one of the most famous. And um, tell us the story behind We Gather Together. It, each, each one of these folks decided they were going to believe God's promises and uh, write hymns as a result. And again, they could have, it could have gone the other way. They could have decided they were going to let themselves be downcast and not trust God's promises. And this next hymn is a, another good example. Um, the, in the mid-16th uh, century, so 1550s, the Netherlands, so you had this big battle brewing between the Roman Catholic Church and, of course, the Reformation winds had blown across Europe at that point, and the Great Divide had started to occur. And the Netherlands declared their independence from Spain and from the Roman Catholic rule. And so the, the king of, of Spain sent his nephew, the Duke of Alba, back to the Low Country, the Netherlands, to bring them back into the fold. And he unleashed a reign of terror, a bloody uh, solution is what he found. And he would literally massacre whole towns, uh, cut, cut heads off, put them on pikes, as a warning to others. And so this war rages uh, in the Low Countries in the Netherlands from around 1555 until almost 1600. And so later in, in that, uh, about 30 years later, the Belgium declares its allegiance to Spain and Holland breaks away and declares that it wants to have nothing to do with the Roman Catholic Church. And that battle continues on until around 1597, uh, William of Orange, not to be confused with this, with William of Orange, who assisted England later on and became King of England, but William of Orange goes to assist the folks in Holland. He is cut down by an assassin's bullet, 
continued wars, continued uh, conflict, but they finally win their independence in, in around 1597. And throughout this time, anyone uh, from a nonconformist church background, so the Calvinist folks were unable to meet for around 45 years, unable to gather together. And so they, you know, we, we look at church sometimes and, and perhaps folks listening, sometimes Sunday morning can be a little bit of an inconvenience to go to church and Sunday night may be asking too much and perhaps Wednesday is a bridge too far. These folks would have loved to have gathered together, but they were not able to. And they finally win their independence. And this great hymn that has become an American staple at Thanksgiving Amen. is written as a result. We gather together to ask the Lord's blessing. He chastens and hastens his will to make known. The wicked oppressing now cease from distressing. Sing praises to his name. He forgets not his own. So in case you've sung that song, and I know some of our listeners sung that in, in, in probably elementary school when they were younger. But as you sing this hymn, the, the words almost do not make any sense because it's, you know, we gather together to ask the Lord's blessing. He chastens and hastens his will to make known. And you understand now the wicked oppressing now cease from distressing. The wicked oppressing being the Duke of Alba and this great conflict that had broken out. Then the second verse, beside us to guide us, our God with us joining, ordaining, maintaining his kingdom divine. So from the beginning, the fight we were winning, thou Lord was at our side, all glory be thine. And again, that, that unswerving trust in the providence of God, that from the beginning, the fight they were winning, from the beginning, the fight they were not winning, but they understood that God was ordaining throughout that. And they understood that God's promises do not fail. Mm -hmm. We do all to extol thee, thou leader triumphant, and pray that thou still our defender will be. Let thy congregation escape tribulation. Thy name be ever praised, O Lord, make us free. So this is almost a hymn of independence, but it's also a hymn of divine reliance as well. Interesting story <clears throat> because of the fact that, again, it was birthed out of some terrible times. And, uh, and Brad, honestly, there are a lot of hymns, not just around the season of Thanksgiving, but also hymns in our hymn book that are uh, stories, if you would, of people that came through tribulation. I think of Horatio Spafford and um, It Is Well With My Soul. Many of these great hymns that we sing, uh, or at least I trust they are sung now, many of these are kind of going by the wayside because of uh, a lot of the contemporary situation that has come out now. But I honestly think, and we've discussed this before, but uh, these hymns need to be resurrected because of the fact they carry such a, a message and the history behind them. And um, if you're just joining us, we're talking with Brad Lindsay. He's our host for Hymns for Life here on Gethsemane Global Radio. Uh, he is on uh, Saturday mornings at 9, Sunday, Saturday evenings at 7, and Sunday afternoons at 4 p.m. Um, Brad, let, I, let me add in, into this as we talk about uh, hymns that, that must be sung. And again, this is, a, this is a command from Scripture. Thanksgiving and singing go together. And we amen. see that throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. There, there's this coupling of our hearts being filled with thankfulness and it coming out in song. Um, you know, multiple verses. I'll, I'll mention a few, but there's so many verses in Scripture that speak to this. 
In the book of Psalms, I will praise the name of the Lord with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. And again, Paul's a letter to the church at Ephesus, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so singing is not just a something that we can detach in our life from our spiritual walk. This is coupled with our spiritual walk. So, so, so sometimes we get the question, you know, what should I sing? Is it all right to sing other things that aren't, you know, aren't Bible songs, so to speak? And I will say this to that. If you're, if the music in your life is not the, the kind of music that honors God, and it's also if you never in your life throughout the week, besides Sunday at church, speak to yourselves in psalms, hymns, or spiritual songs, then that's not scriptural in your life. So what, what do I mean by that? At some point during your day, there should be a psalm, a hymn, or a spiritual song on your tongue. Absolutely. Is it important? It's absolutely important. The, the, the largest book in the Bible is a song book. The book of Psalms from Psalm 1 to Psalm 150 is a song book. If it's not important, then why did the Lord include it in our Bible? It included the entire Psalter in our, in our Bible. And again, we don't need to forget either. Uh, we, we talk about hymns, but Paul also admonishes the singing of Psalms. These are inspired songs that the songs that we sing, the hymns that we sing are not inspired. They sometimes they are inspired by God and what he's doing in their life. But what I mean by that is this, there can be mistakes in them. There can be doctrinal mistakes. There can be wording mistakes in them, but the Psalms themselves are free of error because they're God's word. Amen. So we should be memorizing these psalms. There's also the opportunity to sing a number of these psalms. So the church has a tradition over the course of the years, obviously from from David in the Old Testament when many of these were written, uh, to the captivity and then onward. But these psalms were sung as psalms. And there's a couple examples I wanted to share today. Um, In the 1640s, the Church of Scotland uh, a, a gentleman named Francis Rouse decided he was going to put all 150 psalms into metrical English. You can imagine the undertaking that that was uh, because psalms don't necessarily rhyme. And so he put all of these psalms, 150, to, uh, to, to, to metrical tune, English uh, words and tune. And then he turned these into the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland. And they did what a lot of General Assemblies do. They sent it to a, a board a review board, and it took them six years, this committee did, to go through these psalms, and they were concerned. And why did it take them six years? It took them six years because they were so concerned that the psalms that he had rendered in rhyme matched the Scripture, so nothing was changed from the meaning of Scripture. It's not just good enough to sing it because it rhymes. It must match Scripture when you're singing the psalm. Let me give an example of that. We still sing one today. His great rendering of the 23rd Psalm, the Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want. He makes me down to lie in pastures green. He leadeth me the quiet waters by my soul. He doth restore again and me to walk doth make within the paths of righteousness e'en for his own name's sake. That great last uh, verse of the hymn, goodness and mercy all my life shall surely follow me and in God's house forevermore. My dwelling place shall be a great example of a hymn of, of a psalm done correctly in hymn form. 
And let me, let me share one more. And this is, this is important because of America's Thanksgiving tomorrow. So there is a hymn or a, a psalm that is sung today in our churches that was sung at the first Thanksgiving. And that was the, 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 uh, the psalm I'm going to share a story of right now. Uh, so during England, so we've been talking a lot of the, the, the 16th and 17th century, uh, England and Europe, a lot of these, these hymns that we're talking about came from that period of time. Very tumultuous time in England during the 16th century. King Henry VIII, we think about Tyndale early on, the translation of the Bible. King Henry uh, not wanting that. Of course, Tyndale prays, God opened the king of England's eyes. Eventually, the translation process starts. King Henry dies. His son Edward takes the throne. Edward is a friend of nonconformist churches, a very Christian young man. He unfortunately does not make it out of his teenage years. He dies very young. And then his sister, his stepsister, Bloody Mary, takes the throne, Roman Catholic Bloody Mary, and she unleashes terror against the true children of God, drives a lot of the, of the English people away from England. There's a gentleman named William Keith who leaves England to go to Geneva. And while in Geneva, you can imagine he's probably frustrated that he's been driven out of his homeland, but he does several things. One of the things that he does is helps with a translation of the Bible, the Bible, the Geneva Bible, which is an extremely influential Bible. About 85% of the Geneva Bible, maybe slightly more, is almost word for word for the later authorized version from 1611. Amen. Keith does the translation in English. This is the first Bible that's widely printed in England, so people actually have a copy of it. The, the plowboy has it. Uh, and then he also works on some psalms to put them, again, in the ability to sing this Genevan Psalter he works on. And this, along with the, the, the Geneva Bible, make its, makes their way back to England under Queen Elizabeth. So Queen Elizabeth comes to the throne, and it makes its way back. And literally, the Puritans of that day are singing this hymn, All people that on earth do dwell, sing to the Lord with cheerful voice, him serve with fear, his praise foretell. For it is seem for it is seemly so to do. Of course, the last know that know that the Lord is God indeed. Without our aid, He did us make. We are His folk; He doth us feed, and for His sheep He doth us take. And then the last stanza: For why the Lord our God is good, His mercy is forever sure. His truth at all times firmly stood, and shall from age to age endure. Our pilgrims take that hymn in around sixteen, the early part of King. James's reign. So King James comes to the throne from Scotland. There's hope that there's going to be some uh, ability for nonconformists to worship in England. He does not allow that for the most part. They leave England and go to Holland. Of course, we talked about Holland a little bit earlier in the broadcast. And there the pilgrims worship. And in 1620, they leave Holland heading for the New World. Now, why are they leaving for the New World? This is an interesting thing to think about here. They didn't leave for religious freedom. That was a small part of it, but they had religious freedom in Holland. William Bradbury, the early pilgrim, makes this remark in his book on Plymouth Plantation. One of the reasons, or the main reason they left Holland is they felt like their children were being corrupted by the world. So the freedom that they had in Holland, the world's influence was creeping into their children, and their children were starting to look, act, and be just like the world. 
And the pilgrims were concerned enough for the spiritual health of their children to uproot their lives in Holland and head for the new world. What a warning for parents everywhere today. Do you care enough about your children to uproot the world in your own life to look out for the spiritual well-being of your family? And for young folks, the scriptures, the singing, it isn't just for those who have gotten older and can't have fun anymore. Young people are called to sing and make melody in their hearts to the Lord, no matter how old or young you are. Young folks, too, can worship God. Uh, Isaac Watts, age 19, wrote many of his hymns. A John Milton, Paradise Lost author, writes at age 15, his famous hymn, Let Us With a Gladsome Mind. The hymn, Work for the Night is Coming, was written by an 18-year-old. And we also know the famous young man, he's not famous young man, but his hymn is, a, a young man named William Featherston living in Montreal in the 1860s. At the age of 16, he's marking his, uh, the Lord's working in his life and his salvation, probably on his first or second anniversary of being saved. He writes to him, my Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine for thee are the follies of sin I resign. My gracious redeemer, my savior art thou. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. That powerful hymn written by a 16-year-old. And let me make another point. He writes it at 16. We could have thought to ourselves, young William, what's your hurry? You've got plenty of years ahead of you. You can sow your wild oats young, and you can turn to the Lord as an old man. Young William Featherston dies at age 26. Ten years before he writes, my Jesus, I love thee. This is a call for people of all ages Amen. to serve the Lord with gladness, come before his presence with singing. Amen. He's put a new song in our heart, even praise to our God. And David writes, Jesus, in his great I am sayings, he speaks and says, He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Charles Wesley, I'll just mention this briefly, on the first anniversary of his conversion, writes that great hymn of four thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumph of his grace. It's a personal song. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. This is, this is me. This is a song that God has worked in my heart and in my being. But I will sing of thy power, yea, I will sing aloud of thy mercy in the morning. That's been my defense and refuge in a day of trouble. I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. My meditation of him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. A, 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 a hymn, a call to worship, not just today, not just when we're older, but all the days of our life. And as we reach a, a close to this, let me share one last hymn. It's a, it's a hymn that's sung. Many churches sing it every single service. Uh, so a young, a young gentleman, actually he was a little bit older at the time, wrote this hymn. And it was the hymn, uh, and we, we don't even sing the full hymn, but his name was Thomas Ken. And Thomas was a bishop in England. And he was not close friends with Charles II. So after the Lord Protector Oliver Cromwell is, dies, of course, Charles II comes back on the throne. 
Charles II, no friend of the nonconformists, but Thomas Ken is one of the bishops under him. And they had this continual battle. And I'll give you an example. Uh, Charles II had a mistress and he wanted to house his mistress on the estate of Thomas Ken. And Thomas Ken, wanting to be winsome, decided to let her stay there. Not. He did not let her stay there. He condemned the king for his adultery and would not give quarter to the king's mistress. And this battle goes on and on. And in fact, Charles II, strangely enough, on his deathbed, calls for Thomas Ken because he respects Thomas Ken's strong, uncom- uncompromising walk with the Lord, which should be a, a reminder to us Amen. all as we walk with the Lord. But Thomas Ken was concerned about uh, young, young, specifically young people and their walk with the Lord, but people of all ages. And he wrote three hymns for singing throughout the day. So these were not church hymns. They were written for just normal throughout the day and throughout the evening and at night hymns that you would memorize and sing. Each one of them had between 10 and 14 stanzas. But all of these hymns, each one of the three hymns, ended with the last stanza, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And of course, that's become the great doxology. This all-encompassing song, all of our days filled with praise to God from our mother's womb until the time we close our eyes in death. And then we can go sing with a great assembly of saints on high without sin getting in the way. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And as we look at, at Thanksgiving tomorrow, all blessings come from the Father of Lights. It's important to remember that, and we should sing that in our hearts. No matter if we're going through good times or bad times, as we've seen today, you don't have to have everything going right in your life to sing a hymn or write a hymn. And we should be doing this each and every day. God's promises are unchanging, and one day he'll gather us all to be with him in heaven. Amen. The story of hymns, certainly, Brad, has been a blessing this morning, and uh, thank you for uh, coming to share with us this morning the history behind some of these hymns. I want to close uh, with a story that just happened uh, in the nation of Ukraine, and it was a withdrawal uh, from the town of Kyrson, uh in um, in Ukraine, and the Russian troops withdrew, and they interviewed um, several of the folks there. And uh, they just said, what was it like during the occupation? And one of the folks said, well, when we drove, they could just stop you and either kill you if they didn't like something, or they could just kill you. And the reporter asked, well, how did you maintain hope? And this individual said, the Lord helped us, only him. His hand was upon us, only with God, because it was impossible psychology-wise to withstand because there was so much pressure. God is merciful. God is good. And they cited this particular psalm in the book of Psalms, chapter 126, verses 1 and 2. It says, When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. And they mention in the story here that one of the things that helped them was songs that they remembered. Brad, again, thank you for joining us and 
given us the stern and honest reminder that our songs should be honestly to glorify the Lord. Trust that the the, the program today has been a blessing to you. It certainly has been to me. Join us every Wednesday morning at 9 o'clock Eastern Time here for Weed Among the Terrace. May you have a blessed Thanksgiving and have a good day in the Lord.